I'm your host, Marian Walter, Head of Strategy here at Staking Rewards, and you're listening to the Staking Mondays podcast, where we provide actionable insights from the staking industry for investors, professionals, and beginners. My special guest this week is Felix Lutsch from Coros One. Coros One is a staking provider that offers staking rewards for more than 30 proof-of-stake networks. Coros One also offers a range of tools and value-added services that enable users to manage their staked assets and to optimize staking rewards. Felix Lutsch is the Chief Commercial Officer of Chorus One, overseeing the day-to-day -day commercial activities of the company. He was already deeply involved in crypto during his studies. Back in 2017, he wrote his master's thesis on blockchain adoption in the finance industry, which finally led him to join Chorus One in 2018. Today, we are going to talk about Chorus One and their plans moving forward. Felix, welcome to the Stake Mondays. It's great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks, Marian. I'm super glad to be here and excited for uh, this show. Cool. So um, in the opening ceremony, or right after the opening ceremony of um, me <laughs> and then uh, Mirko, our CEO at Staking Watts in, uh, in Lisbon, 8th of November, uh, you actually gave like the first opening keynote as an external speaker and you directly focused on an uh, overview of the staking industry and you also went deeper on liquid staking and especially MEV, uh, maximal extractable value. And um, these are the, the three things I would like to um, yeah, zoom in a little bit more today and starting maybe with, with MEV. Um, why is it so important to you? Because um, maybe as a step back, Chorus One publishes a lot uh, about liquid staking and MEV on uh, um, on your website, your blog, Dune Analytics. Uh, so tell me a little bit why you are focusing so much on this. Yeah, definitely. I'm happy to. So, right, maybe for a bit of background, right, Course One, we're a staking provider, as, as already mentioned in the intro, that, that's been active in the ecosystem since 2018. And I would say we're we're very crypto-native company. So uh, aside from just running the infrastructure of having good uptime, having secure key management. We also focus a lot since it's like such an emerging space on kind of the problems that, um, or like kind of the, the trends that are in, in the proof of stake ecosystem. And um, liquid stake and MEV kind of both are among, I'm receiving some, sorry. I'm... Ah. Nah, so they are both like very, important um, topics that kind of came came up in the years when proof of stake matured. So right at the beginning, we just had um, even like delegated proof of stake was maybe a new invention. And then as decentralized finance came to the, to the proof of stake world in general, right with things like lending and DEXs, you, you started to realize that these staked assets that are locked up, um, there's a lot of like potential for them to be also used in this decentralized finance ecosystem. And I think the decentralized finance ecosystem overall just brought a lot more um, transactions and, you know, activity to the proof of stake space. And through that, there appear like new opportunities to, for new actors to, to make kind of money on, on those. And that's basically what maximally extractable value is, right? So there's kind of from these decentralized finance applications, there is value to be captured by, by uh, actors in the ecosystem. And why, why does Chorus One focus on this? It's because in the end, we as validator are the ones proposing the blocks on the, these networks and kind of ordering the transactions. So we play an important part in this supply chain of MEV. And um, we, we think that 
you know, for proof of stake networks in general, they need to kind of address this problem. So we see ourselves as kind of uh, responsible for that too. And then also, since since it's it's it, we're talking about values, kind of like extra extra revenues or rewards, and so we also want to share those with our delegators. And because of that, we're focusing a lot of it to both um, optimize the rewards for delegators, but also to help the networks to provide like sustainable. Uh, ways of MEV extraction. Mm. Um, I think um, other like uh, other staking providers uh, would do the same. But um, what I like is that you are actually pushing above that and um, with Chorus One, actually educating or providing educational content and material for the market to better understand the whole thing. Is uh, I think you are doing a very valuable job to the staking ecosystem there. So. Um, I don't know, maybe from uh, as a throwback from the presentation you on the staking summit, could you give us like um, a key takeaway takeaways for the current state of MEV, like staking ecosystem and MEV? Right, yeah. So like the, the core topic of that keynote, I think you could also yeah watch a recording of it if, if you're interested after, after hearing this and, and you didn't yet, right? Was that essentially... Um, again, it goes back to this idea that MEV rewards can kind of come make up uh, other portion of the staking yields that we hadn't really considered in the past as much where, you know, most of the staking yield nowadays comes from the token inflation and uh, some of the transaction fees that you pay for gas on the network. But MEV through the redistribution from validators or through other systems of MEV redistribution can actually kind of enhance the staking yield as well. And, um, you know, I, I kind of looked a little bit at some data from live networks. So I kind of explained this core concept and, and the key takeaway basically is, yeah, right, there is there is an opportunity there. And then I also went into a little bit the data. How much is it actually? It's it's not so much yet, right? It's like five maybe percent to 10 in, in like very mature networks and, and much less in much newer networks where there's not so much activity yet. But you can generally see a trend that... Um, there is something there. And then, um, yeah, uh, that's, that's what we're trying to clarify. You know, what exactly is it? Um, who, who benefits in what ways, what are kind of solutions to, to help the redistribution or to minimize kind of negative externalities from MEV since there's also like forms of it that are kind of, uh, bad for the users of the network. So like there's, there's kind of different dimensions to that, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the key insights from that um and yeah we're still on the same mission i would say mm. yeah comparing ethereum solana and osmosis it's actually um for ethereum which is the most mature proof of stake network it's uh 54 um of the staking rewards uh, are comprised by token issuance and then you have uh 34 so roughly one third is, is gas fees actually the, the the network with the highest gas fees comprising the the staking was and then it's 12 percent coming from mev and if you compare that so you have 12 percent mev uh, one third gas fees and roughly one half uh, token issuance um and in so with solana and osmosis it's it's quite different right and with most other long tail proof of stake assets as well uh solana has 90 percent token issuance osmosis uh, staking rewards are comprised of 97 percent of token issuance and then uh, the rest is split between mev and gas fees so um you can see there's there's a 
um, a huge difference there. Um, you could say that uh, the, the more mature networks have a more sustainable revenue stream uh, that are making up the stake rewards, which I find highly interesting. Um, and another thing that I thought about, so this year I read uh, Flash Boys, um, which is like a, it's a nonfiction book uh, that storifies a little bit the, the development of um, high-frequency traders. And to me, MEV shares some similarities with uh, high-frequency trading, right? It's about... Um, right around the execution to insert uh, your own trades there for sandwich attacks, for example. Um, so judging from the development that we've seen in high fre frequency trading, do you have any um, uh, views on the future of MEV? What are the next developments that you would anticipate going there if, if we would take high frequency trading as a proxy for that? Yeah. Yeah, I think... The, the interesting thing with high frequency trading was is that I think no one really thought about it in the same way that it's thought about in the crypto or decentralized ecosystem that, you know, almost no one would think, well, this is something we need to mitigate, but everyone would kind of just think, how can I uh, be the, have the shortest distance to the execution side, right? How can I like lower my latency? How can I be a more profitable trader? Um, and there's only like this IX, right? That kind of what, what the Flash Boys book is about, that they try to like kind of make a more fair system for the investors. Now, I think in crypto, we have a situation where there is much more focus from the broader ecosystem on, on this issue and just much more uh, resources going into like, first of all, recognizing that this is maybe a problem and, and trying to solve it in, in different ways. So I think we, we can see a little bit of a different trajectory to to the like high frequency trading space there. I think on, on some elements, right? Like there is similar thing that, you know, uh, I think for example, trying to like locate closer to, to some of, and, and I guess also the difference is that in, in a centralized exchange in the traditional world, you generally have like one server regional where like the main exchange is sitting. Now, if we're talking about proof of stake, actually it's sitting with these different validators already distributed around the, the world. So uh, it's actually not even that easy to kind of locate close to some of them. There's obviously like kind of geographical um, zones where there's more servers, for example, in, in Europe or in Northern America. So if you're like a trader and you want to have this latency benefit, you might want to locate there and, and kind of make connections with validators to get in sooner uh, i think that that is kind of a trajectory we saw a little bit on solana for example but given how how i was saying that we have much more eyes looking at this problem in in crypto i think there's also been like solutions that try to uh, mitigate these advantages for for some and build like systems that that essentially enable everyone to participate in mev no matter you know how close you are or like kind of take out these, these advantages a little bit um, and make it a bit more of a fair game. So, right, like Flashbots was, was the first to kind of tackle that in that sense that they're trying to build a system in between the, the people looking for the uh, MEV opportunities and the ones that ultimately insert the transactions, the validators, and, and in that sense, make it possible for, for more people to participate in this ecosystem. And, and that trend, I think... Um, we have seen a lot also in other ecosystems 
in addition to that, also like with other protocols, like even thinking about how can you mitigate some of the negative MEV things like sandwich attacks, what you mentioned, how can you kind of protect users from, from being exploited to a much greater extent than what, what is happening in the high frequency trading world. I, I wouldn't even know right now if, if IX is, is even like still a thing or if people care about it or it's, it's just continuing in this kind of exploitative way. Probably it is. Um, so, so I think, yeah, we're, we're on a better trajectory in, in the crypto markets. Interesting. And the, the second thing that Chorus One is very vocal about is uh, liquid staking. And you are actively involved uh, in liquid staking for Solana and Ethereum, working with Lido. And you are soon adding Osmo, Atom, and Juno with Quicksilver. So um, let's say entering the Cosmos ecosystem there as well. Um, and you publish extensive reports on liquid staking. I think I, I've read your report back in 2020 when you published that one, which is a great primer to to liquid staking there so um again why what brought you to liquid staking as a company why did you enter and why are you uh, so active there yeah um right it's very i guess we again a similar kind of course of action where we were active in the ecosystem running this infrastructure so you're very familiar with the how the staking networks operate, how does the staking protocol work and how do they, what are the limitations of that potentially? So, and, and then we also saw the DeFi ecosystem coming along in, in Ethereum 2019, 2020. And it was clear that because staked assets are such a big, um, like collateral type in, in these networks, because right, like most of the assets are staking tokens and when you stake them, you kind of lock them up and you lose this liquidity that, but that is kind of potentially capital inefficient or, you, you know, people will want to, uh, or the market will want to have liquidity on this, or there will be some instruments. I guess that's always a trend, I would say, in, in finance in general, that uh, there will be like instruments to try to make like liquid instruments liquid to some degree. And I think that exactly was kind of the trajectory we saw. And we were like, okay, thinking about how how could proof stake networks do that better uh, ultimately doing like this, this liquid staking research initially and, and just looking at what's out there and then a lot of bringing a lot of the projects together that were working kind of on similar uh, trajectories now. Um, um, yeah. So, and then we, we didn't end up like building our, our own protocol there, uh, but we, you know, uh, been working a lot with, with existing things like Lido and, and now Quicksilver um, to, to, you know, uh, bring access to liquid staking to, to the market and, and kind of the goal of liquid staking, right, is in the end to, to have a, to help the network decentralize, stay decentralized, but also issue this liquid staking derivative that can be used in, in decentralized finance, which, which then it generally benefits from, from being more liquid. So having more adoption. And then from our perspective as a validator, if you just issue a, let's say a liquid staking derivative just for your validator, you will be kind of limited in, 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 in how big that can get and how liquid that can get. So generally liquid staking protocols want to have like a lot of validators, right? And want to uh, actually help decentralize the network. So we realized it early and, and, and uh, basically decided to essentially participate in these liquid staking protocols and uh, invest in that area. But it's, it's a bit... Um, you know, separate from the core staking business, which 
MEV feels a little bit more directly related. So we've kind of switched the focus to that a bit more uh, over the last few months. Also, it's just uh, a problem that um, feels like it's less solved, I think, than compared to liquid staking. So we also shifted the focus a bit more there overall. And um, how does the cooperation between you and Lido look like? You already mentioned um, there was investment involved and the other way around, uh, Lido will also, when they receive assets that they need to stake, they delegate to validators. And I presume that Chorus One will be also be one of them. Um, are there any other points of uh, cooperation between you and Lido or is that already it? Yeah, that's the yeah. There are some some other things. So we we have built uh, the initial version of Lido on Solana. So we did uh, build a smart contract there and received kind of like a grant for that and some some revenue share. In the meantime, we have handed that back to or like over to another team that does the maintenance because we realized well it's a little bit separate from from the staking business, but we definitely learned a lot and contributed back our expertise there and are still also involved in um, maintaining it and then operating nodes for both Lido on Ethereum, of course, and Solana. Lido is also generally speaking a DAO, right? So we, there is a lot of governance involved in, in having Lido operate, right? Is be it about onboarding new node operators to the different networks, making decisions on you know, what networks to support and, and kind of other things. And, and we're still involved also in that side of the DAO, like helping govern the, the LIDO liquid staking ecosystem overall. But um, yeah, those are basically the, the dimensions here. Mm. Now, uh, I read on your website that you recently launched your Opus API, a chain agnostic staking API for institutional clients. Could you walk us through that? What is it and why did you launch it? Yeah, for sure. Uh, happy to. So, uh, yeah, Opus API is basically the idea that you want to have a system that institutions can launch nodes with us at easily and integrate with their existing systems. So the problem is probably most clear if you look at Ethereum, where, uh, you know, every 32 ETH, you would need to launch another validator if you're, if you, when you're staking. Uh, now, for individual, that's obviously probably not happening that much. But if you're thinking about some institution or exchange or a big, bigger holder of ETH, they might like accrue um, ETH over time. Like, you know, like so people deposit and want to stake it. And then you will have to launch a new validator, you know, maybe every day, a few. Uh, and we, we basically build a system to help automate that. So if you're an exchange or like an institution that wants to offer staking to your um, clients uh, and basically have like some sort, sort of like staking button in your interface, then you can use our API to launch the validators automatically with us and also receive like reporting around rewards and, and things like that from us. Um, so that's, that's the goal here. Ultimately, we also are building this out to, to have like a UI interface so you can launch validators with us and, and see your rewards and stuff like this. Um, there, uh, the focus here is initially mostly on Ethereum because that's where the need is the highest. And that's what most of the institutions I think now are first focused on since uh, these are players that are a little bit slower to adopt certain things, right? And 
what they care about first is like the bigger ecosystem. So basically Bitcoin and Ethereum and Ethereum now with the withdrawals going live soon uh, also and, and the merge having happened um, just becomes more interested in staking. You know, there's also still not that much ETH staked. So uh, we felt that's the important move now and, and been focusing on this. Um, yeah. And in the future, we hope to kind of expand that to to other networks to, you know, help uh, people participate in, in proof of stake essentially and have like, um, yeah, uh, interface and APIs for, for that. Got it. And um, currently you are securing about 36 proof of stake chains. Some of them are quite small uh, and innovative. So you're obviously playing the long tail of proof of stake validation, aiming for asymmetric upside. Uh, I would guess you could also call call it bets. It's it's a similar pattern that I've seen uh, across other validators. You have some some of the tokens you hold uh, and, and validate are the cash cows, and then you have a long tail of more smaller assets that you hold for for the upside. And uh, normally you would also not um, not claim the rewards and sell them, but rather hold them. So uh, to me, validators uh, across several chains, they have a little bit a characteristic of um, a little bit of long only uh, hedge funds in a way. Yeah. Uh, so as an as an image, you build a portfolio and, and you try to maximize the, the outcome there. But obviously, it, it has a investment decision baked in there involved there. Um, what is your process? How do you decide which networks to validate? Because it is an investment decision that you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Like I think that generally holds true this thesis for for many of the validators. I think uh, as the since we're pretty early in this ecosystem, everyone obviously the core belief is this will grow. So most people treat it as as a sort of like investment, and 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 obviously on board the networks that they believe will have some upside for them for for various reasons. I think you know we also do due diligence already based on the investment. So it's very similar here to like a normal investment due diligence that you would make where you look at the network from, from different angles, uh, looking at the, the team, the community, looking at kind of what the problem they're solving, if, if that's already addressed, if it's actually a problem, right? And if they're like set up to, to solve it. Um, so just like kind of general due diligence in, in terms of the opportunity, but then the extra dimension that we probably look at that a normal VC might not look at in an investment is, is kind of the, the staking side, right? So we're looking at the economics that um, this networks has for staking uh, the investors, because in the end, we might also want delegations from, from the investors. So for some networks, there could be that we have already existing connections that uh, would stake with us. So that, that makes it more interesting, or maybe, maybe there's, um, you know, people that we want to get closer to and speak to, or I think in general, right, the staking rewards are very attractive or the staking system is attractive. Plus, ultimately, there's also like a more technical due diligence part that looks at how difficult is this for us to onboard this network uh, and to maintain it. So there are um, certain kind of network architectures that may be easier, right? Like nowadays, a network that launches on the SDK framework, like the Cosmos SDK, uh, will be much easier to operate for us than something else because 
that's just a very uh, much used framework to launch blockchains and it 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 works the same more or less for for every of the chains so um since we're like so familiar with it and our systems are very well set up for that and generally it's very mature so also for the people like launching the chain it's it's much smoother to do this um that also means we have to like invest less like technical resources to 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 kind of onboard it and to maintain it versus like something that's completely built from scratch which often has like a lot of problems and and just takes longer and more engineering hours so because you have to get familiar with it and maybe it's not as mature yet so these are definitely factors that that play into our like overall due diligence and then we essentially yeah take some some sort of uh holistic view at all of it and uh, decide whether we want to onboard uh the network or not um yeah so, th so that's essentially the process we have like kind of a pipeline that these networks that we come across in different ways or or look at kind of walk through and then ultimately we'll we'll onboard them when they kind of hit all the criteria that, that mm. we want them to and as the uh, chief commercial officer are you also managing the treasury or is this uh, a separate role at course one so we yeah we do this the kind of like there's some sort of committee in the company that uh manages the treasury on like a high level i would say that you know there's there's essentially some day-to-day -day activity that i'm not really involved in but uh, overall we the, the strategic decisions of what we do with our treasury we have like sort of like a company internal team that looks at that which comprises of kind of people from the investment venture side and uh, just general leadership and finance side and then looking together at our you know positions in the different networks at our exposure in in or like like rewards in general and and kind of making decisions where should we you know maybe like deploy our own assets but also you know what do we hold too much of which one which assets should we sell what do we keep yeah all these decisions right we just look at it on a frequent basis and and adjust based on the market conditions too or our our changing view of the the staking ecosystem hmm. So uh, taking into account um, a mid to long-term vision of the market and the different tokens, you look at your portfolio and then you make decisions where to, where to enlarge or uh, decrease the, the actual principle that you've put in there. And also like for covering running expenses, for example, you could, would also need to make the decision which tokens or uh, staking rewards you are selling. And um, is this... Is this changing from time to time or are you always uh, hodling the same tokens and selling the same tokens to, to let's say, fund your operational costs? Right. Yeah, I think the added can differ. I think it's it, there's largely some that, like you already said earlier in, in this conversation, uh, I guess some assets that, make more or like just bigger and, and then they are like naturally rather the ones that that would be kind of sold um since yeah that that makes it easier i i think also um yeah it, it's a lot market condition dependent i would say so ideally we would sell more in the bull market and then in a bear market we might like try to accumulate the rewards i think in the in the um, 
yeah so so ideally we would like build like some sort of like cash buffer when the when the market is doing well and then use that to pay for expenses and, and investments and everything and then in the bear market try to uh, accumulate through stake through the staking commissions but also through like redistributions of the portfolio the, the ones that that we believe in um, obviously that doesn't always work exactly like that and we might still like sell a bit of the assets but on a high level i would say that's kind of the strategy mm. Uh, one of my last guests was uh, Sergey from Everstake, and he said they keep 10% uh, of all the profits that they make for having the buffer for the bear market. And uh, actually, they also he also shared um, that it was necessary now because they do have quite high payroll that they need to cover. Uh, I don't know. Do you publish this information or can you share this? Uh, give us a little bit in inside like benchmarks that you have i think this is always very valuable for any listener here um to, to see what other players in the market i don't know what their benchmark benchmarks yeah are. sure 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 i mean for us it's we look at it more in a like from a startup perspective which was like you know what your expenses are like your burn rate of the salaries or and and other expenses that you have and then we would just look that we have enough uh kind of burn rates to, uh, to cover like you know two three years of of um uh of of run rate basically from from our in, in cash basically or in cash equivalent so like basically fiat somewhere on, on bank accounts or maybe like a little bit of stable coin and can still like earn a little bit of um, yield with those but they are basically like cash and so we would maintain that um and so so that's i think mostly what we look at but also we when we do this we assume we have no revenues right so we actually have like with the revenues that we're still earning if you would like sell it all and have to had to sell it all it would be like much much more runway so in general that's i think the core benchmark we have and then it's more about the market conditions that we look at how much we liquidate there's there's not really like a percentage of the rewards or anything that we use it's it's much more driven by um those that that burn rate statistic and and general market conditions i would say what other tasks do you have as a cco um, of a staking provider could you give us like a role profile <laughs> yeah uh for sure i think yeah basically um we have three large or like I mean, now almost four teams that that work in the on the business side of it aside from just hr and operations that i'm not counting it's like bd marketing research and product and essentially i work with all these teams so they uh, have like people of their own in there um and i work with all these teams to make sure they work together and they like um it's all aligned under our like basically overall company strategy and uh, uh, stuff we're working on and helping to prioritize like different work streams, uh, especially also, I would say the communication between engineering and the business side. So helping prioritize which networks we should uh, onboard next, uh, what, what kind of milestones are coming up for these networks. So, you know, making sure we are, we're there for the right things and um, yeah, just generally keeping, keeping these, these, these different um, um, teams aligned and, you know, also making hiring decisions, um, resourcing decisions on, on these things, uh, on these teams. Um, 
So that's probably most of it. I also, I do a lot of our key ecosystem partnership development, let's say myself still also like, yeah, speaking with uh, some people on the BD side, both on the network side and on the like staking investor side. Um, so, so these are kind of the two elements in, in a staking provider, right? You have on one hand, the networks or protocols that you validate. Uh, and on the other hand, you have uh, token holders that want to stake the assets. Um, and for, for some of those, I, I'm still also like involved directly myself, the, the very important ones, I would say. Let's talk about your roadmap and looking ahead at, with Chorus One. What are your plans for the next 12 or maybe 24 months? Yeah, uh, very interesting question. Surviving? <laughs> no, <laughs> mostly like, uh, yeah, I guess now we're, um, yeah, it's an interesting market since a lot, you know, the reality came back a bit from like last year of everything looking amazing and, uh, you know, like mass adoption being around the corner. Now it's looking much more bleak, right? Interest going down again uh, in the broader public. Also the image, I guess, of, of crypto being uh, very uh, impacted by like FTX and then all these stories that were there. Um, so we're very much, but the, the upside of that is there's obviously like a lot of uh, building still going on in this market. And you, now you can see, you know, who is in it for the long run, like some of the noise fades. And um, so we're really using this time to refine um, what is our offering? What are the networks that really matter that are going to be there in the next cycle and trying to like essentially divert resources and, and like kind of attention to those, uh, but also like, yeah, uh, financially speaking. And so, so that's like the core focus. And then given it's a more competitive environment now and you have like more people enter, um, it's also the time to position yourself. Like what's your differentiator as a, as a staking provider, how do you compare to these others um, and, and kind of refine that product a bit? So that's really our focus to make sure we're building the right thing for our clients and, and the networks. So that's uh, in the next six to 12 months on our end, it's, it's this kind of institutional side of the business with this API and products around that, that should help like bring new people into crypto that haven't been there before. So kind of more focused on the, kind of late adopters of the technology and, and institutions that don't have like that much expertise, but then also on the, on the other side of the early adopters of the technology, like new networks that are coming out and kind of this, this emerging field of MEV. So these are like the cutting edge things that were more involved. And then the institutional API is more, uh, you know, slower, uh, like product to, to, um, yeah, on board the institutions, which is like not as cutting edge, not as like exciting maybe as, as MEV or, or some of the newer networks. Uh, so we're, we're kind of split between these, these two directions and uh, ultimately right in the next 12 months launch this uh, or like expand the API to, to also have a interface for Ethereum and then hopefully add like one, two big networks or network ecosystems to it. I think that, that would be probably the main focus. Uh, what is on your reading list? What are you taking um, into the holiday season? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, I've been, I'm like, I'm reading like a bunch of books in parallel. <laughs> that's kind of how I generally operate. Uh, 
I've been reading a lot of like stoic philosophy books. So still finishing like this letters from Seneca. And I also have like one sci-fi book, Der Schwarm or The Swarm, I guess in mm -hmm. English mm -hmm. that I'm, that I'm reading right now. Otherwise, generally I read a lot of like nonfiction, to be honest, where mostly about different topics in, yeah, uh, like finance or economics or psychology or any anything in that direction. Uh, but is, those those two are kind of open right now. <laughs> what is your most favorite book uh, of all times that you ever read? Wow. <laughs> yeah, I think one of my favorite ones is probably like Thinking Fast and Slow from mm -hmm. Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky or I, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know exactly how you pronounce it. Uh, so because I think that's what's like very fundamentally describing um, the human psychology, especially in, in the markets where, you know, like, I guess I studied economics and, and business administration. And a lot of that is based on the economic theories of this like rational human that kind of maximizes it, their profit, but the real world looks very differently. And I think that book describes well, like based on like actual experiments, why this happens and, and kind of how it happens. Uh, so I think from that, you can take a lot of lessons to other domains away from it. And it's especially important in crypto where we're trying to like change these systems to be more sustainable, I would say. And, and so having that, the right mental model for that, I think is very important and had a lot of impact on me to like kind of reframe a lot of things in, in this kind of system one, system two thinking, I don't know how familiar people are with this books, but that was, is probably one of the the most influential yeah. ones i would say yeah it's it's being cited a lot right uh very i think you can always go by the number of uh plugs or citations from people that you hear about the special book and then it often is worthwhile to take a look at it all right uh closing it off here what's the best way to follow you and chorus one yeah i guess uh as many things in crypto it's on twitter <laughs> So uh, at Chorus One is the company handle where you can find our updates. And uh, for me, it's at Felix LTS. Um, we do also, if you're interested in reading more about our research, so I think that's kind of like one of the most interesting things you can you could do following us is is going to Chorus One, and then you'll have in the top button in the top row like a button to the quarterly insights or like annual reports we're doing. It's like a mailing list that you can subscribe to. And you'll receive our research on a quarterly basis that we release publicly. Uh, and that has like, you know, deep insights into the different eco network ecosystems we're part of or like trends we're analyzing with a lot of data-driven statistics and, and basically like an inside look into our, our research. So I think that's that I would recommend anyone to check out. Thank you, Felix, for being so generous with your time. We have been speaking with Felix, the CCO of Chorus One. If you enjoyed this conversation, check out our previous episodes on Spotify and YouTube and subscribe to our channel for future episodes. Check out our Staking Industry Ecosystem Report 2021 that uh, is going to come out this week. And follow me on Twitter. That's at Rokifehu, R-O-K-I-F-E-H-U, and our team at Staking Rewards. I'm Marian Walter. You've been listening to the Staking Mondays podcast here on Staking Rewards. For Felix and the audience, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for having me.